0: Well, good morning. My name is Jeff Wilkins, and I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we are so thankful for your presence and that you would give us your time. And my prayer is that you would experience the embrace of God through his people here at Zion. Um, We're doing a sermon series, just to kind of bring you up to speed. We're doing a sermon series this fall that we're calling... Life with Jesus. And the reason we're doing that series or this series is because of what the Apostle John says in the very last verse of his first letter. He says this: He says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols, which is an odd Thing if you know the letter of 1 John, because it's clear that John is not talking about statues or totems when he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. He's talking about something else. And we also know that he's talking to Christians, because just a few verses earlier, he writes this. He says, I write these things to you, to, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's writing to believers And he's saying, keep yourselves from idols. What is John doing? Well, I would suggest to you that John is a wise pastor. And he knows the tendency of the human heart. He knows the tendency of your heart. And he knows the tendency of my heart. And that is to remake Jesus into our own image. That's what we constantly do. Like caricature artists. We like to maximize the things about Jesus that we like. His love, his grace, his forgiveness, his pardon, his kindness. And we also like to minimize the things about Jesus that make us uncomfortable. How all this talk of hell. I mean, he talks of hell a lot. His, his, the way he engages with some folks, like Pharisees, calling them children of Satan, things of this. We, we want to sort of minimize that kind of stuff. And, and here's the deal. Do you know what you have when you have Jesus and you maximize those things of him that you like and you minimize those things that make you feel uncomfortable? Do you know what to have? you got an idol, which is why John says little children keep yourselves from idols. So we're spending this fall thinking about life with Jesus. And like I said last week, my hope and my prayer is that in our times together, we will be surprised by Jesus. Surprised in such a way that we no longer try to conform him into our image, but rather we are transformed into his. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 16 to 20. We are actually not preaching through consecutively the gospel of Mark, although that's pretty much what we've done so far in the series, just giving you a heads up. Um, But this this is God's word, Mark 1, 16 to 20. It's also printed in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible. And if you if you don't actually have a Bible, feel free to take one that's in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Uh, At home. This is God's word. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, And John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Beloved, there's my opinion, there's your opinion, and then there's the very word of God. What we've just read is the very word of God. We should ask that he would teach us this morning. So if you would, would you pray with me? the Father, Son, and Spirit. Thank you that you are who you reveal yourself to be. Thank you that you are better than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us in your word and we pray that through your word, by your spirit you would teach us this morning. There is absolutely nothing we need more in this moment than to be taught by you. Persuade us of your love, persuade us of your grace, persuade us of your mercy, persuade us of all that you are and change us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well. Last week we looked at the two verses that immediately came before this passage. It it was Jesus' debut. It was the first time Jesus appears on, on on the scene in the Gospel of Mark. And in that passage, Jesus summarizes and he sets the trajectory for everything that he's come to do, right? He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And we talked last week about... How, beginning immediately after Adam and Eve rejected God and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God set out on this mission to restore humanity and the kingdom that was lost in the fall. and we discover, but we discovered that God didn't just sort of wave his arm, he didn't um, have a wand, he didn't make it he didn't snap his fingers, but instead, He calls a people. He calls a person, Abraham, and a people, Abraham's descendants, Israel. And he calls them to himself for a purpose. The the purpose being he is going to work in them and through them to bring redemption and restoration to all of the earth. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, Israel is called to be a light to the nations, and in order to be light to the nations, Israel is called both to proclaim the Lord's name and the glory and the salvation and the mighty acts of God in their worship, and they are also to walk in his ways, in righteousness and justice, in their individual lives and in their corporate life as his people. In other words, Israel was called to be a walking billboard of sorts, advertising God. In his grace. They were to be who God created all of humanity to be, and they were to do what all of humanity was called to do. But if you know the story, you know that Israel failed. They failed miserably. And here's the thing: God knew that Israel was gonna fail. If you don't believe me, pick up your Bibles later on today and read Deuteronomy chapters 39 or 29 to 32. It becomes very clear that God knew that this was gonna happen. Israel's failure doesn't surprise God, but more importantly, Israel's failure does not derail God's plan. Rather, it sets the table for Jesus, who, as we saw last week, announces that God is inaugurating his kingdom reign, that God is on the move, and that God is on the move both in and through Jesus and his ministry. And what is the very first thing Jesus does after announcing the coming of the kingdom of God? Our passage. He calls Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, and he calls James and John. He says, follow me and I will make you become Fishers of men. What is Jesus doing here? He is illustrating to us through his ministry, through the calling of these two pairs of brothers, what the nearness of the kingdom of God looks like. He is illustrating to us what he has come to do. What has he come to do? Well, the first thing you see in this passage is that Jesus has come not only to fulfill the mission of God, but to call you and me to partner with him in his mission. You see, that's exactly what this passage teaches us, that if you are a believer if you are in Christ, to use the language of the Apostle Paul, if you are a Christian, you are not only a beloved son or daughter of God. You are not only a member of the beautiful bride of Christ, but you are also an instrument, an instrument of grace. And we as his people are an orchestra of his grace. We are called to trumpet his redeeming, restoring, healing, and holy grace to a broken world. In other words, if you are called to Christ, you are called to partner with and participate in the very mission of God. No matter who you are, if you are. A Jesus follower, no matter how old or how young you are, if you are a Jesus follower, no matter your past, if you are a Jesus follower, you are called to partner in and participate in the mission of God. It's staggering news if you really think about it. It's amazing because our hearts, the human heart, Craves, it desires, it longs for meaning and purpose, for a, for a, for a reason for being. And what could give you a greater sense of purpose and reason for being than, than to be able to participate in the mission of God? A mission that will bear eternal fruit, as the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 In the Lord, your work is not in vain. Now, if you really think about it, this call is both simultaneously unbelievably exhilarating and a little, well, not even a little. It's actually incredibly sobering. For at least some of us in this room, Christ's call raises A very serious concern. Christ's call raises for us a very serious question. And that question is this. What if I'm unqualified? Well, this is the second thing I want you to see in this passage. And that's that When Jesus calls you to partner and participate in the mission of God, he takes you as you are. Now think about it for a minute. What do you know about Simon and Andrew, James and John? What does the text tell us? Doesn't tell us a whole lot. Tells us that they're brothers. They're they're two pairs of brothers. But it also tells us what they do. Their occupation. They're fishermen. Now, I don't know what picture comes to mind when you hear the word fisherman. But the picture, the gospel, Pace is not someone in LL bean chest waiters. Not someone wearing smart wool socks and a Vanguard fly vest. Not somebody sporting polarized sunglasses or with a wicker creole bag standing in the middle of a stream in the Rocky Mountains, fly fishing for rainbow trout. That is not what Mark is talking about. That is not what Jesus is talking about. Don't think a river runs through it. Think the deadliest catch. You guys ever watch the deadliest catch? I love the deadliest catch. The deadliest catch, if you haven't seen it, is this reality show that's not real reality, but whatever, we won't go there right now. And it's this this story about these fishermen who fish in the Bering Sea for Alaskan king crab, queen crab, and snow crab. And I probably won't surprise you that the, the folks that are on this show, they're pretty salty. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're super salty. Um, the saying that someone cusses like a sailor, that makes sense when you watch this show. Now... I am not suggesting that there aren't some brilliant fishermen fishing the Bering Sea. But most of the fishermen on this show are hard-living, marble-red-smoking dudes. I don't think that there are too many fishermen on this show who graduated summa cum laude from Harvard. Not one of these guys is an influencer. Again, that's not to say that these guys Or dummies, but it's just to say that more often than not, these guys are pretty regular guys. They're blue collar types of guys. Now, why do I point this out? Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're just regular guys. They're just regular guys. More than that, no one really thinks that they are the smartest or the sharpest tool in the shed. You might remember in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested by the religious elite of their day for proclaiming Jesus and his resurrection. And they're interrogated by Annas, the high priest, as well as the rulers and the elders and the scribes in Jerusalem. And after answering their questions, we read this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. <laughs> how would you like to have that written about you? After interviewing Jeff, he was an uneducated, common man. N- no, nope, I don't want that. But that's how these guys are described. And yet what you see in our passage is that when Jesus approaches them On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he calls them to himself. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, what does that mean for us? Have you ever thought that you're just not qualified? You're just not cut from the right cloth. You don't have the right gift mix to participate in what God is up to. Do you ever think you're unqualified to participate in the mission of God? Well, here's the answer. You are. You are. We all are. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1? He says this. He says, consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Friends, our hope for being the people who God has called us to be in and doing the things that God has called us to do cannot be grounded in who we are or who you are. As the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism put it, our only hope in life must be that we belong body and soul to Jesus. Because it is Jesus who takes those who are not wise, those who are weak, those who are common, and he transforms them into ambassadors of his love and grace. Our hope is in the fact that jesus says to peter andrew james and john and he says to us this morning i will take you and make you to be fishers of men the third thing i'd like for you to see this morning is that when jesus calls you to partner and participate in the mission of god he calls you to walk with him what do i mean I mean that when when Jesus calls you, he, he doesn't give you your marching orders and send you off. Go. Rather, when Jesus calls you to himself, he not only gives you everything you need for life and godliness, but he also promises he will never leave you or forsake you. He promises that he will be with you to the very end of the age. He promises that by his spirit, he will work in you both to work and to will for his good pleasure. And even though you are a work in progress, he promises that one day he will finally complete his work in you when he returns. Beloved, this is Jesus. This is Jesus' heart For ordinary, everyday people. This is Jesus's heart for people like you and me. This is who Jesus works with, in, and through to accomplish his kingdom purposes. We are his hands and feet. There's a reason why we are described as the body of Christ, because we really are the body of Christ. It's not just an image. We are the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. We are instruments of his grace. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.10, we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God provided beforehand that we should walk in them. And what this means is that if you were a believer, the question that you need to be asking yourself is this. How has Jesus called me to serve him by serving those around me. Who has Jesus called me to serve? Where has Jesus called me to minister? Because when Jesus calls you to himself, he calls you to partner and participate in what he's doing. Now I think something that's, that's very important to keep in mind as you wrestle with answering those questions are the ordinary rhythms and the regular routines of your life. The people you see regularly without having to try to see them. The places you visit in the ordinary and everyday of your life. The community in which you live. The needs around you. At work. At home. In your neighborhood. Among your friends. I say this. Because when Jesus calls you to himself, while he might have big things in mind for you to do, he unquestionably and undeniably has things for you to do in the everyday and ordinary of your life. You don't have to get in your car to do ministry. All you have to do is open your eyes. Who are the people you were around in the everyday and ordinary of your life? Where are the places you frequent in the ordinary and everyday of your life? What are the needs that you see in the everyday and the ordinary in your life? Something else to keep in mind. What Jesus is calling us to in the everyday and the ordinary is both simple hard it's it's simple because you don't like I said you don't have to get in your car to do ministry all you have to do is open your eyes because Christ has placed you where he's placed you around the people he's placed you around for a purpose of serving those people Christ has called you to serve people in every day in the ordinary of, of your life and yet Christ's call is also hard and it's hard for a couple of reasons and I'll tell you this reason number one It's hard because the people you see day in and day out know where you live. And they might show up at the most inconvenient times possible. But here's the thing. The kind of relationships that Jesus is calling us into are messy. They're inconvenient and they are costly. And that makes fulfilling Christ's call hard. It's hard for another reason. It's hard because ministry in the everyday and the ordinary means that our ministry has to be done in weakness and humility. Rather than out of strength. Now, why is that? (laughs) Well, it's because if you're going to minister to people in your everyday and ordinary, you're going to be ministering to people who know you. If you're a college student, or you're single, think about your roommate. If you're married, think about your spouse. If you're, if you're a parent, think about your kids. If you're a kid, think about your parents. They know you, the good and the bad. They've seen you be impatient. They've heard you cuss. They've heard you say unkind things. They've, they've seen you do say one thing and do another. Perhaps they've been on the receiving end of your impatience and unkindness. How are you going to be an ambassador of God's grace to them, to Him, or to her? Be like me I ain't going to sell because they don't want to be like you. They just don't. The ministry road that the Lord calls us to travel is the road of weakness and humility. On this road, we, we don't say, be like me. What we say is, I don't want to be like me. But the good news of the gospel, my hope is that the Lord Jesus Christ is at work in me, making me more and more Like him, his spirit is at work in my heart. He's waging war against the sin in my life. And like a farmer, he is cultivating his fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't look at me as some paragon of virtue. Rather, look at me as I look to Jesus who lived and died and was resurrected not only to forgive me but to change me. He is my hope. That's hard. That's hard because we are sinners who continue to sin. And it means that the ministry road that the Lord calls us to travel, the road of weakness and humility, is a road we will travel every day for the rest of our lives until we see Jesus face to face. It is always a road of humility. It is always a road of weakness. And it is a reason why the theme of our ministry, the theme of our service has to be, come with me as I go to Jesus. Beloved, these are the kinds of people that Jesus is knitting together into his kingdom. Ordinary people, people in progress, and if we're really honest, this is who we are. None, not many of us were wise according to the world standards when Jesus called us to Himself. Not many of us were powerful when Jesus called us to Himself. Not many of us were of noble birth when Jesus called us to Himself. Why does? Why does Jesus call us to himself when the only thing that we have to bring to the table is our sin? He says, not many of you are wise or powerful or of noble birth, so that no one, no human being might boast in the presence of God. But that's not all he tells us. He goes on and he tells us, because of him, because of God, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What Paul is telling us is that because of Jesus' life, and particularly because of his death on the cross and resurrection, our sins are forgiven, and we are clothed in his righteous deeds. And the power, and by the power of his resurrection spirit, he is at work renovating our hearts and our lives, making us more and more like Jesus. Beloved, Jesus came and he lived and he died to make you sons and daughters of God on high. He lived and died to make you a beautiful bride of Christ. And he lived and died and he calls you and he equips you to be fishers of men and women. Instruments of his goodness and grace and a part of an orchestra that sings his praise for all eternity. And his call to you and to me today is the same. Follow me. What does following Jesus look like? A couple ideas for you. It looks like trusting him. It looks like taking him at his word. It looks like taking him at his word when he says, I will make you to be fishers of men. God's grace at work for you and in you is infinitely more powerful than your qualifications or better yet, your disqualifications. It's just the truth. What does following Jesus look like? It looks like listening to him. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know me and hear my voice. It looks like obeying him. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And finally, it looks like denying yourself, taking up your cross, and losing your life for the sake of Christ and the gospel, knowing this, that whoever would save their life will lose it But whoever loses their life for Christ's sake and the gospel will save it. So here are the questions Where is Christ calling you? Saying, I will make you to be fishers of men and women. To whom is Christ calling you? Saying, I will make you to be fishers of men and women. When Christ calls us to himself, he calls us into the very mission of God. Christ's call to Peter and Andrew, James and John, 2,000 years ago, is his call to us today. Do you trust that he can and will use you? Because he can and he will. And the real question is will you follow him? Pray with me. Father, Son, and Spirit, it really is astounding. To think that you would not only save us, make us your sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters, Lord. But that you would actually invite us to participate in what you are doing in this world. That is amazing. Lord, I pray that it would dazzle us that we would see the honor of your calling on our lives. And yet it also humbles us. Because we know we don't qualify. We, we don't measure up. But you do. And you work your good purposes out, not only through us, but in us. And so, Lord, we offer ourselves to you today to do with us and through us whatever it is that you see fit. Please open our eyes to the opportunities that we have around us every day in the everyday and the ordinary. And give us the grace and the and the faith to walk through those doors. not to be a savior ourselves, Lord, but to point people to you who is the only true savior. Lord, we long to see see the doors of our church bursting with people because of the work that you were doing in us and through us. Lord, change us. Make us a sweet aroma to Columbia and the surrounding areas Lord, the aroma of Christ would you woo people to yourself through us would you make us beautiful not for beauty's sake but that we might be who you called us and redeemed us to be Lord we we are not equipped to do what you've called us to do which is why I'm so thankful that we have the table where we are reminded once again of your life and your death and your resurrection, where we are reminded once again of the height and depth and width and breadth of your love for us, that you would live for us, that you would die for us, that you would rise for us, that you would pour your spirit out into our lives and that you would feed us. We pray, fathers, we come to this table this morning that you would do just that. You would feed us, nourish us, equip us, enable us more and more to be the people you've called us to be so that we might do the things that you've called us to do. Would you take this bread? Would you take this wine? And, Lord, would you use it for your purposes of strengthening us and making us more like Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen.